Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. Blackfoot Communications is actively supporting the communities we serve across Montana and Idaho. We are installing hundreds of miles of fiber in our service territories, increasing the broadband experience in our rural communities. We are delivering remote workforce solutions for our business communities. We are creating new, innovative solutions for our local entrepreneurs and enterprise organizations. Learn how your company can benefit. Call today at 541-5000 or go to blackfootbusiness.com. Blackfoot Communications connect to more there's a business angle with justin angle justin is a professor of business at the university of montana business school and he joins us every other week we're gonna start doing this again on tuesdays i hear this next tuesday the one after that it just depends on uh how how much we get caught up on today but every other week we get together we talk about the overlay between sports and business the financials and all the, the things in between so, Justin, excited to catch up with you, my man. Uh, how you been, man? How, how's, how's things going? It's been great, man. I missed uh, hanging. I, you know, I'm, I'm excited to hear about your, you know, all your travels. And I got to say, like, that announcement about, you know, the prospect of going to full capacity in Washington Grizzly Stadium and all of the associated benefits to the community that that um, will hopefully bring. It was such a, um, a piece of good news. It feels like the light at the end of the tunnel might just be starting to get a little brighter. And uh, 70 degrees and sunshine doesn't hurt with that feeling either. Huh? No question. I was pulling out of the grocery store parking lot. I just, I just grabbed a salad and I was coming back to the office and I got the email right before I started driving, and I almost started crying. I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I can't believe how happy an email could possibly make me. But talk about that, though, the economic impact that this has, because we've talked about it a little bit on this show, but it's so much more than just the revenue that's produced for the athletic department. That is a huge priority, and that's an essential part of having Grizz sports of all kinds, particularly in supporting the non-revenue sports that don't have a chance to to produce the amount of revenue like football does. But this has so many other... Uh, secondary economic impacts, but we we have seen it firsthand at Missoula Broadcasting Company with the impact not having Grizz sporting events, particularly football mm-hmm. games, has had on the downtown businesses and businesses just across Missoula. So, I mean, th- this is a huge e- economic stimulus, so to speak, right? 
Yeah, in many ways. And, you know, I, I got to just take a moment to plug a recent episode of A New Angle. Um, a couple weeks back, we, we published an episode where we interviewed Kent Haslam, uh, athletics director at UM, who many listeners know. But, but we went kind of long form on the dynamics of the decision to cancel uh, the Big Sky Conference spring schedule for the for the football team, and you know so, some some insight to that. You guys have talked about it a lot, but this kind of trade off between like really trying to grab a payoff now or like throw a product on the field now, and the risk that doing so put um, the fall season under. You know, that was really salient in talking uh, that through with, with Kent. And, you know, I think we, we're seeing the wisdom of that, that decision potentially in the sense that, you know, the teams will be healthy, the teams will be prepared. It will be a good product that we're able to put on the field and the players will be safe and they'll be well-trained and coached and all of those things. So they'll be prepared. And there's such pent-up demand um, in the community, um, to just like feel, uh, what it's like to cheer for sports in person again. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I'm sure like as you know, there's more and more folks get vaccinated and as they're moving around in the community, like we're going to have to kind of relearn how to interact with one another, right? Like how to make eye contact, not over zoom and how to have a, a conversation with somebody who's in your personal space. It's, um, it's going to be interesting to see how that, um, how that plays out, but uh, you know, I think people are excited for it, um, and we got to navigate it. As far as the economic impacts, though, like you know, there was a headline in the paper today that new hotel opening up in town, a twenty-two million dollar facility. Um, that the, the, the sort of you know the downtown of Missoula has been changing over the past years, and a lot of folks haven't been downtown um, during this pandemic and during some of the construction that's been happening there. Um, you know, I think we're kind of going to be entering a new phase for Missoula, and I'm I'm really excited about it. Um, a lot of the indicators about the university uh, for the fall are, are are looking good. I mean, nationally, we're seeing that there's some pent up demand by students to to return to on campus education. Um, enrollment signals across the country are strong. Uh, some of the early enrollment signals at the University of Montana are strong. Uh, I, you know, I can't speak officially to that. I'm not read into a lot of those things. But, um, yeah, I, I'm pretty bullish uh, on the fall. And um, I think it's pretty easy to be right now. And, and um, you know, we'll see. I think we need to be tempered. Uh, we're not out of the woods yet. Um, and there still might be bumps in the road on a bunch of different dimensions. But, um, yeah, it looks pretty, it looks pretty uh, exciting for summer and fall. Justin Angle joining us. It's a new angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. Excuse me, it's a business angle. I got so confused because we started talking about the new <laughs> angle, Justin. I, I did listen to the, the podcast with Ken Haslam, by the way, when I was on my uh, travels. And nice work by you, uh, but it is definitely worth listening to um, because Ken does he he talks pretty pretty in depth about all of the the things that went into the decision. And I've been saying it all along. I think that Montana has an opportunity, and Montana State as as well have an opportunity to really come out smelling like a rose 
close after all of this because we've seen be. uh, we've seen it. Yeah, you know, the spring season. I mean, Cal Poly. They don't have enough. They had to cancel the second half of the spring season because they don't have enough guys that are healthy. Half their team got hurt. They only have forty nine available guys, and that's just brutal. So, uh, regardless, um, I think that it was the right decision, particularly for us in Montana. And I think we, now we can load up for hopefully what is an outstanding football season on both sides of the continental divide here in the fall. Just let's talk NCAA tournament. Um, a big storyline when the tournament first started was when a a couple pictures on social media went viral. And uh, it comes with a little bit of a caveat because most of the time when the NCAA women's tournament is occurring, the way that the women's tournament, it's neutral sites on both sides, but the women's tournament tends to make their first and second rounds at sites where the top seeds play. And they want the Yukons of the world to have a game that's pretty close to stores Connecticut or you know mm-hmm. Stanford to play close to the Bay Area they because they want they want the 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 tennis to be great they want the visuals on the TV to look awesome and I think it's it's good I mean it gives the top seeds a systematic advantage but I think it's also good for the game because it's a cool experience like when Montana State got a chance to go out to University of Washington about a handful of years ago and then they had to play a third seed of Washington team led by Kelsey Plum who was among the all-time leading scorers in the history of women's college basketball tough to play the Huskies out on their home court in front of 10,000 people, but also so cool for Montana State to get to play in front of a sold-out arena, uh, you know, against one of the biggest stars in college basketball. So that said, usually when the women's tournament is taking place, the first-round sites are on campuses. And so, therefore, then the teams have access to great athletic facilities in most uh, in normal times. Well, this year, because of the way that they were trying to build a bubble, the it, both the San Antonio hosting the women's tournament and Indianapolis hosting the men's tournament, there was, uh, uh, seems like a, a, a pretty large oversight. The men had what looked like a functional, but not even an elite weight room by, by uh, Power Five conference standards. And then the women basically had a couple yoga mats, a couple rubber bands, and a couple dumbbells. And it was honestly, frankly, it was embarrassing to see that stuff spread, but it spread pretty quickly. And they ended up making a difference with getting an actual real weight room built down there in San Antonio. But just from a logistics and management standpoint, uh, this was a pretty glaring error on the NCAA's part. Yeah, I, I got to agree with your analysis there. I mean, this is this is not only a glaring error; it's one that was completely predictable, right? Like, there is that difference in how these tournaments you know, operate, both on the men's and women's side, as far as you know the, the regionals versus the relative home games on the women's side. But when you're talking about this bubble model, right? First off, it's COVID, and you know that there is going to be scrutiny, detailed scrutiny on every piece of the operation. You know, and you would you would assume that a lot of that scrutiny is going to be based on, you know, the, the sort of uh, the health factors, right? That would be the immediate first pass. Um, but you got to think these things through, and it's one. Th- it, it is a logistical challenge to bring all these athletes to a single place to provide enough, you know, safe venues, the distancing, the, you know, all, it's, it's a hard logistical challenge, right? But having inequities between the men and the women is such a glaring oversight. It's like one, one side of the house just didn't talk to the other on a particularly predictable dimension, 
right? You know, things like the gift bags for the players. I mean, all these players are walking in. They're excited for the moment. They got their phones. They're going to be snapping photos of this stuff, posting it to social media, selfies, all that stuff. Like, you got to think this through from a branding standpoint. And if you got the women, I mean, so not only is it wrong, sort of on an ethical standpoint, to provide um, inferior accommodations and facilities for the women's athletes. It's just bad business, right? It's a terrible look. And not only, like I said, it's, it, it's, it's, not, bad, it's not just a bad look, it's predictable, right? So, it, you know, somebody's, you know, somebody should lose their job over this. And, um, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily something that, you know, would put Mark Emmert under pressure, but I certainly think it, it rises to that level because it's, um, you know, it's bad business and it sends a really bad signal about how the athletes are uh, are valued. My my biggest question about all of this is that as we've defined over the last year or so, and I think this has been one of the things that has come to light when it comes to covering college sports more than anything, is the true reasons why the NCAA exists. Because the NCAA has been mm. a very controversial entity for a long time. A lot of people would say they're an overreaching entity um, that maybe does not have fair treatment across the board when it comes to student-athletes and some of the rules that they try to enforce. But at the end of the day, the NCAA is an entity that exists to conduct championships. Therefore, the championship that is being conducted right now, particularly the men's basketball tournament, is so essential for the validity of the entity that is the NCAA. Basically, if they don't have a single championship in the men's basketball championship, they cannot conduct any of the other 32 championships at the NCAA um, overseas. But it seems to me that regardless of the optics, regardless of the PR, the good PR, the bad PR, the good management, the bad management, all of that, until there's a competitive entity that tries to replace the NCAA in yep. the conduction of championships, the NCAA can screw it up as bad as they possibly want, and they still are going to be what they are. It doesn't even matter what the scrutiny is because no one else is doing it until they do. That's the beauty of monopoly power, right? I mean, they have monopoly power. We're seeing, I mean, we talked about this in the fall. You're seeing some potential cracks in that on the, you know, in the bowl system at the, at the, at the highest level of college football. Um, but in terms of the NCAA tournament, they're the only game in town, and they know it. And you know, does that necessarily lead to these sorts of oversights or, or create negligence? Um, I'm not necessarily, you know, you, you can't necessarily say that for sure. Um, but in many instances, yeah, competition. Uh, does the NIT even exist anymore? I, I don't think it, that's it, even a thing. It, 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 still, <laughs> it still sort of exists. That, it's funny that the NIT does still exist because that's a completely different story. But the NIT basically exists as a money grab by ESPN sure. because they want to have some form of college basketball on TV when they don't get to air any of the NCAA tournament games. <laughs> so they basically facilitate the NIT just for the, the, the most fanatical of fans that say, oh, man, I've been watching Hoops Thursday through Sunday, there's a game on Tuesday. Okay, I need another hit. I'm going to turn it on. But that's, you know, and we've talked about these sort of disruptive players. And, you know, we talked about that that Disney Plus deal, right? And the opportunity to sort of deploy, you know, and, and Thursday Night Football going to Amazon. So, I, you know, I think the mention of ESPN and the, the NIT money grab, like, 
you're seeing different players here, and that's maybe where the competition comes from. And you layer on this notion that, you know, these these, these court rulings that say that players can now get paid uh, through various sources, whether they're getting paid for their image or likeness or whether they're getting paid for participation, like that legal regime is sort of being sorted out as we speak, and the NCAA seems to just be stalling and not really thinking proactively about policy, we could see these for-profit entities come in and, um, you know, they can pull off constructing a championship and marketing it and, and planning it. And, um, you know, they have a lot different incentives, right? They report to shareholders. They're not trying to report to university presidents or, or you know, whatever their, their stakeholders are. So that, that could really change the scope of how these championships are conducted. I just have to wonder what it would take for an entity to rise up. I mean, is it as simple as just having uh, the, the money and platform to do it? Or I guess, what, what, do, you, what do you think it would take for a competitive entity to, to try to facilitate a tournament like this? I mean, you'd have to invite a handful of schools and pay them a ton of money, right? You'd have to make it worth, you know, some big program's while, Michigan's while, to, to, to say, you know what, we're going over to this other tournament. And um, it's probably easier to, it's easier to pull off in football because it's a smaller number of, of teams in the consideration set for a championship, right? But if, if you took, like, one year and just said, you know, you know, whatever the teams are. I know Duke wasn't that good good this year, but like the, the perennial powerhouses in college basketball and just said, you know, we're going to invite six teams and uh, pay them a bunch of money and, and see what happens. I mean, universities across the country are in dire financial straits right now due to COVID. Um, so you might be able to pick a few off. Um, that's probably the only, only way it happens is you ensure some good teams show up and you pay them a bunch of money. Justin Angle joining us. It is a business angle here on Nuanas Now, 1029 ESPN Missoula, as well as statewide television, SWX Montana. We do this every other week. It's presented by Blackfoot Communications. And changing gears on you, Justin, you sent over sure. a really interesting article here. Uh, this is from Yahoo Sports, who did a, a pretty big poll of Americans, specifically American sports consumers. And I guess in this case, people that maybe are no longer avid sports consumers. Basically, the, the premise of the poll was how has the the political advocacy and social justice trumpeting that has existed uh, and become pretty prevalent now in American sports, particularly American professional sports, how has that impacted the viewership of sports? And about 11% of people say they now watch more sports uh, as a result of the political and social messaging. However, 345 more than, half, more than a third say they're watching much less. The vast majority, roughly 56%, said they watch about the same amount of sports. So that's interesting. But it seems as if this is hurting more than it is helping. And I don't even know if we need to opine on what we think of that statistic more as just the, the fact that this is, uh, this is something that could impact the average day-to-day sports consumption and, and then therefore the bottom lines of many of the professional and maybe even amateur sports leagues. Yeah, it's really it's really interesting to think about this in the sense that you know for for many people they look at sports as this place where they don't have to worry about politics and division and and and, and some of the harder things to think about in our society, social justice and so forth. Um, however, you know, and there's there's great debate about this, like. 
oftentimes, you know, athletes have a platform, and you know, a lot of athletes use that platform to express a viewpoint. And uh, there's some that think that that's a, a great thing. You know, we, we hold up the Muhammad Ali's of the world as these iconic figures that not only were excellent uh, in the ring, but also influential socially. Uh, you know, and then you've got the kind of classic Michael Jordan, um, you know, wanting to stay out of it, right? The, the story of, you know, Republicans buying shoes too, uh, or buying Nikes too, I think was the quote attributed to him. But it, it, yeah, so, so some people sort of look at sports as this area that is sort of, I don't want to use the word safe, but like, like don't bring that divisiveness in here. But areas of society, more and more, it's just hard to keep politics out. It's starting to permeate so many... Um, so many dimensions of society. And then you layer on top of it the social unrest of the summer, the, the George Floyd murder, and we're going through that trial right now and sort of reliving a lot of that trauma. Many, many people are. Um, it's interesting, like, how sports, from a sports management standpoint, I mean, you've got these teams and these owners that are managing these assets, but you've also got players on the field and on the court that, that have their own brands to think about it. Not only their own brands to think about that, but their own passions and their own issues that are important to them. And, you know, I don't think we can fault athletes or I don't think we can fault anybody for using a platform that they've earned, that they've developed through their hard work to advance some social cause. You know, I might not agree with it. I might not want to listen to it, but if a person has developed a platform and wants to use that platform to advance something that they're passionate about and they think is good for the world, then, then you know, I, we can criticize the viewpoint, but I don't think we can criticize the actor for, for doing that. It is so fascinating because I, I, I thought that oftentimes we use sports as entertainment, as distraction, as an escape, as a way to right. not engage in tough conversations or to not engage in the unrest that exists in the world. And I thought that the the fact that during the height of the pandemic, as well as the height of the shutdown, we had all of these race riots, these social injustice um, explosions going all on all mm -hmm. over the country, combined with the fact that a lot of people were actually forced to watch it. You had to pay attention to it for the first time. I thought on one hand that makes the message resonate at a much higher level, but then I think it also then it makes it so that you're almost required specifically as a minority athlete to then say something, and that's sort of the trend that we saw. It's also important for people to realize that for better or for worse, uh, many times some of the most um, visible and prestigious African Americans in our country are athletes, and I think that that's yep. that's a completely different conversation in terms of what the what that means for us as a people. But regardless, I think that LeBron James is more well known than than most people from his background or any background that for that uh, you know. So I think that. Uh, I think that's all. It was almost like it became a trend and almost a requirement, and it was an, an interesting um, shift from what we've seen in the past. And you just have to wonder how much this is going to affect everything on both sides. Because on one hand, I think it is empowering people and bringing a voice and a conversation to the table. But on the other hand, it, it is probably uh, turning a lot of people off. And uh, regardless of what you think of 
the way it's impacting sports on either side, it is impacting it. And so I think it's something that needs to be analyzed from a business perspective. Yeah, and we'll sort of have to see. I mean, you look at a poll like this, and, you know, one, the, the enterprise of polling in general is, is under a lot of stress and scrutiny. I mean, the, the, the polls are, they've been up and down over the last few elections. And polling in general is sort of like all the questions, no matter how they're asked, seem to now just derive down to the single dimension of political identity. Right, which 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 tribe do you belong to? Which team are you playing for? Um, so there might be some of that going on in the response to this poll. Beyond that, we're dealing with a time where the product is different too. Right, like there's not people in the stands. It's packaged a little bit differently. Uh, there's these different policies. So viewership is down in general. And you know, you ask people how to attribute that viewership. Uh, well, you know, you could attribute it the lack of viewership to social justice. So you don't exactly know. I think we'll know more as we sort of come out of, you know, if we sort of see what this new administration is like and see what the tenor of politics is like as we approach another election. And then if we're doing it under normal non-pandemic conditions with people in the stands with a conventional product. Um, you know, we'll see if these effects endure. I, you know, I don't know. I think you're right, though, that, that if it's part of the deal, we, we got to kind of think about it from a brand management standpoint on, on, on how to navigate it. Justin Engel joining us. It is a business angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. And last edition here, Justin, LeBron James, speaking of LeBron James, yeah. Now has an ownership stake in the Boston Red Sox. First of all, LeBron James has been famous and infamous for wearing his uh, standard New York Yankees hat. He's from Cleveland. He attends, I guess he's from Akron, but he, he's attended Cleveland Indians games frequently. And oftentimes he can be seen at Jacobs Field cheering on uh, his hometown team. But then he also, just from a style perspective, has frequently worn a New York Yankees hat. So that in itself is ironic that now he now owns the arch rival of the uh, New York Yankees. But this in itself is fascinating because as for as rich and well-paid as athletes are, particularly LeBron James, he will probably reach the stratosphere of of sort of the the holy grail of athlete earnings. Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, and Magic Johnson are the only three guys that have ever made it into the billionaire club, and LeBron James is getting there as an athlete. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's very rare for them to ever be able to afford sports teams, and obviously LeBron, not a majority owner, still just a minority owner within the Boston Red Sox, but this is a pretty interesting deal, an active athlete now having a stake in a contemporary sports franchise. Yeah, it's interesting in a lot of different dimensions. One, it, it sort of signals that maybe there's some power dynamics at play here. And when we talked, I mean, we, we alluded to this in the previous conversation about, you know, some of the social justice protests. I mean, athletes, you know, who, who has the power here, right? The owners or the athletes? And then if, if an owner has risen to the level where he or she can take an ownership, or an athlete has risen to the level where he or she can take an ownership stake, you know, either in the team that, that they play for or another team, like that just sort of changes some of the dynamics. And this particular deal is interesting. This Fenway Sports Group, I mean, they own part of the Red Sox. They own part of the Liverpool, Liverpool football or soccer um, um, franchise. They own uh, Nesson, which is a um, you know, regional sports TV network out east. They own some, some of a stock car racing outfit. 
And, you know, I, we have to, I don't really know yet, but we want to look at this and sort of think about, like, we have these iconic images of owners as these, like, old rich dudes that own, the mostly white, uh, that own these um, teams sort of as a hobby, right? And I think that image is no longer accurate. Like, we're seeing these ownership groups. We're seeing these ownership groups not only own pieces of a single team, but owning other pieces of teams. And they're starting to, like, kind of look a little bit like hedge funds in a way, just interesting collections of investments. And it'll be interesting to see, like, how do the, you know, why are these portfolios constructed the way they are? How do these assets change in value relative to one another? Who's making these decisions? Who gets in and who doesn't? Um, you know, I, th- I think, you know, the athlete piece, the athlete owning a, a piece of a franchise um, is an interesting take. But also, like, what does ownership of these uh, franchises look like going forward? And what does that mean for the product on, you know, on the court, on the field? I, I don't really know, but it's just interesting to think about ownership taking on some different dimensions. Justin, it's been great. Love having you on. We'll, we will be back with a business angle, maybe even next week. We'll, Justin and I will discuss next time we have a business angle with Justin Angle from the University of Montana Business School. But we do this a couple times a month. The overlay between business and sports, it's always fascinating and insightful. Presented by Blackfoot Communications. And thanks so much for swinging by, man. And I, I'll catch up with you soon, but appreciate the contribution as always. Sounds good, Coulter. Enjoy the sunshine. We'll talk soon. All sorts of stuff going on around my... It's finally starting to feel like winter around here, and if you need some nice winter gear, how about the fine folks at Sitka? They make awesome winter clothes, and they sell custom Bobcat Sitka gear at the MSU Bookstore. You can shop online anytime at msubookstore.org, or, of course, you can check out the MSU Bookstore live and in person there on the Montana State campus. They also have some graduation regalia back in order there at the MSU Bookstore. They have an awesome American Indian Council selection as well. Visit on campus anytime you need blue and gold or visit online anytime, anywhere, msubookstore.org. MSU Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day located there on the Montana State campus.